Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Dr. T is going to lead us in our scripture reading from John chapter 15 this morning. Thank you for the honor of sharing God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. Yes, Lord, we thank you this morning for the precious gems of truth here in the treasure chest of your word that are a gift to our lives this morning. God, our hope is in who you are. And who you are is you're the true vine, Jesus. You're the source of the life you created us for. And by your grace, you have, Father, you have reattached us into your Son, that we might bear fruit and live the lives we were meant to live. And so, Jesus, we thank you for these words that you spoke to your disciples and that you still speak to us today. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate our understanding during this time now of active listening and learning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come, that you would anoint me with the ability to preach and to teach in a way that is faithful and in a way that is helpful to all of us. This is all for your glory. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come, and God, would you speak, please? We ask you to speak to us and to give us ears to hear what you want to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Well, this morning, we are continuing, I don't even know, is this week four or five, something like that? Yeah, week five. This is week five of our series that we've entitled Abide in Me. Abide in Me. This is a helpful series for us as we've begun a new year and sort of recentered our hearts around following Jesus this year. It's probably a very, you know, nothing more probably helpful in Scripture to that end than this passage that we just read that we've been reading each week here in John chapter 15. Abide in me. These are the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples here as he is offering his followers. Listen to this. Here's the context. Jesus in John 15 is offering his disciples a farewell address. 
His hour has come. He's fully aware that the cross is on the other end of his week. His time is at hand, and he's loved his disciples, the Bible says, to the very end. I love that Jesus loves us not just on the first day, but he loves us even to the very end. Amen? He's, he's going to love us through whatever we're going through. And here he's loving his disciples well. He's loving them to the end by preparing them for their soon life without him right next to them. And they have certainly gotten used to the convenience and the blessing of Jesus, the Messiah, being in their inner circle of life. And so as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, he, he speaks these final words to him. And it's chapters 13 through 17 that re, of, of the Gospel of John that really makes up these last words of Jesus. If in your Bible you have like red letter edition Bible, you'll see chapters 13 through 17 is like all red letters. It's Jesus just giving like a final download to his followers about the nature of his kingdom and life in his kingdom. But some of the most powerful and profound words that he speaks are found here. Right in the middle of this upper room discourse, right in the middle of this farewell address in chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Uh, in this section that Dr. T just read over us, Jesus is using the imagery, a familiar image to his followers here, the imagery of a vineyard to illustrate the kind of life that we've been called to as his followers and it's beautiful imagery. Jesus is just poetically and profoundly communicating this incredible truth that he is the vine. He's the source of life. And we, through the gospel, we, through the work of the Father, are the branches that have been placed in him. The vineyard is the church, and we're here to bear fruit. And this is what Jesus is talking about, kind of this vision for his followers to be fruitful as branches in him, the vine. Uh, we've really been zeroing in on verses four and five lately. This has kind of been our main home base here, uh, where we get the namesake of our series, where Jesus says these words, and I'll read them again. Abide in me, and I in you, he tells his followers. And using this imagery of the vineyard, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, notice this hope, bears much fruit. But then the opposite, for without me though, he says, you can do nothing. Jesus is using the imagery of us being branches in him as the vine to describe this life that's fruitful because of this dynamic relationship with Jesus. This living branch because it has a living relationship with the living vine. Uh, there's a specific word, obviously, that we're focusing on that Jesus uses to describe our relationship to him. It's a call he gives you and I. And it's the only hope we have to be fruitful as Christians. And it's this word, abide. It's not a common word that we use today. Like, yo, where are you abiding today for the Super Bowl? Where are you posting up? Can I come abide with you as you abide in your favorite team? Like, that's not a term that we typically use. But Jesus uses it here ten times. The Greek word there is meno. Can you say meno? And this Greek word literally means to remain, to stay, to dwell, or my favorite here, which is to make your home. What a vision that Jesus gives us as his followers for how to have a relationship with him. He's communicating that, that Jesus is not just someone who should be visited in our minds every now and then. You with me? 
He's, in fact, fruitfulness will not be found in our lives if we approach Jesus that way, as someone to pop in and out on every now and then, maybe on a Sunday, or every now and then when I'm doing well and I'm doing all the right things, and we can kind of make this moral basis for approaching him. Jesus proclaims and he communicates himself as not a place to visit, but a home to live in. What a vision for our lives, that we would be those who live from a relationship with Jesus. That's what he has for you and me. That we would be those who live from, who dwell in, who stay in and make our home in a relationship with Jesus. Now, for the next few weeks, we're going to start going deeper on this. All right, we've done, and today will be a little bit more uh, uh, upstairs stuff. We'll get downstairs today with some, with some practice. But for the next few weeks, we're going to really get into more of the practice of this. In verse 7, Jesus uh, talks about abiding in his word, for example. This is going to be next week. Jesus is going to start to go in, uh, in into like how we do this. Okay, like make your home in relationship with Jesus. But, but how so? Well, in verse 7, he says, well, it's, it's relationship to Jesus is directly connected to how you relate to his word. You, you cannot have a strong relationship with Jesus if you don't have a strong relationship with his word. To have relationship with Jesus is to have relationship with his word. To abide in him, he'll say in verse 7, is to abide in his word. Uh, additionally, in verse 9, he'll teach us that th- there's no strong relationship with Jesus, and how many of us know this, unless there's a strong relationship with his love. You ever tried to base your relationship with God on your lovability, your lovableness? We know that that burns out, that you end up running on fumes, when your relationship to God is based on how lovable you've been. <laughs> or how about this one, how loving you've been. It's like, no, no, no. Stre- the strength of our relationship with Jesus is going to be connected to making our home in his love. That's where the hope is found. So this is going to be the next few weeks, just a little roadmap. Uh, but this morning, I want to continue to unpack kind of the, the main thing that we've been looking at, which I believe is the foundation to all these other things. And you could jot this down as kind of the big idea of today. As we look again at verse 4 and 5, we want to talk today as a foundation for all these other things. We want, to, we want to talk about what it means to be those who make our home and live from the presence of Jesus. This is the foundation of abiding in his word. This is the foundation of abiding in his love. Is a, listen, a living relationship. Jesus is not just some historical figure. He's a living person who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is in his people, who is with his people. Jesus is not merely a concept and a theology to be known about, but he's a person to be known. He's a person to be walked with and followed and engaged with, abiding in his presence. I think this is uh, the main idea, or if, you know, I don't always do this, but here's kind of the main idea too, or or how I want to go in this direction. The title of the message today is this idea, the way of withness. Here's how I want to kind of unpack this. Um, The first aspect of abiding in Jesus, it looks like a kind of life that's lived in the way of this this ancient made-up word. Ancient made-up word. That's funny, right? The way of witness. I I definitely made this word up. This is not, you know, witness with a lisp. This is is that word. I didn't inadvertently put an H in there. I didn't forget a D, like with. No, like this is, we're just making up words. This, This is what we're doing. The way of witness. Um, that's really the primary call. 
that Jesus is giving here in John 15. As he looks at your life, as he looks at our life, he's hoping that our lives are marked by this way. Abiding in his presence, living from the way of of withness, or another way to say this, communion with him, relationship with him. Uh, The call here in John 15 is a call to a life that's lived from intimacy, connection, and communion with Jesus. Uh, This is a real thing. There's such a thing as this, a life of witness. In fact, how we see it is by Jesus describing the opposite. Notice the last verse of this passage. Jesus is talking about remaining in him, doing life with him. And the way that he describes witness is, is by describing the danger of the opposite kind of life, which he calls being without him, or what we can call that another made-up word, withoutness. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. So let's just, let's just think about this. Here's a framework Jesus gives for our lives. Can I remind you? He's talking to disciples. He's talking to church-going, Bible-believing, gospel-gratitude-based followers of Jesus. And yet, he, he says this to branches that are in the vine. He says it's possible to be in Christ, yet to functionally live without him. He's calling us not to withoutness, but to withness. The presence of Jesus, walking with him. There's two kinds of lives that can be lived as a disciple, a life with Jesus or a life without him. And it's tempting to think that we are living a life with Jesus because we're doing all the things of Jesus. And we're around the things of Jesus, but we know that that is not the qualifier of witness. The qualifier of witness is not your activity, it's your intimacy. It's not what you're doing and where you are and who you're with. It's what's the nature. I mean, think about this right now. Like, however long you've been walking with Jesus, what's the nature of the depth of your communion with God? What's the nature of the depth of your relationship with Him? This is all that matters. So let's unpack this a little bit. I want to give a couple uh, primary ideas. The first idea, there's two ideas that I want to unpack here. Uh, So witness, two things about witness. First, witness, as we talk about this, uh, we need to recognize first that witness is something that we're saved to through the gospel. And then secondly, we need to recognize that witness is something that we're called to through discipleship. So as we kind of simplify this stuff, and we've been unpacking this, witness It's what we're saved to first through the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Christ has done for us who are separate from God because of our sin, created for God and relationship with God. The gospel is the good news of the work of Christ for those who are in him to be reconciled to God. It's what we're saved to. We're saved from, you could say, withoutness. And the gospel is that we're saved to withness. The book of Ephesians lays this out. Like I said, one day we'll, we'll go through the book of Ephesians, Lord willing. In maybe 10 or 20 years because we just finished. But in Ephesians, this is what Paul says about our lives apart from the gospel. Okay, understand, this is the human condition apart from Jesus. He says, there was a time where you were, notice this, without Christ. That's, that's the root of our issue, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. He's speaking specifically here to Gentiles. Notice this, having no hope and without God in the world. And this, is a, a, this is a sad existence. This is definitely not what you see in the Garden of Eden. This is not what God created mankind for. A life marked as that that is 
without God and hope in the world. That's a depressing reality, which is what makes the gospel such good news. Amen? The gospel is the good news that now in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Withness is what we're saved to. He goes on to say this, for through him we both have access, I love this, by one spirit to the Father. Out of all of the riches of the benefits of what Christ has afforded you and I in him, there's a special beauty to the fact that we now have access, eternal, forever, perfect access to God. You know, I can't help but think about being a kid and at some of the different road trips that we went on as a family. My mom was super fun at this and, and making it a full endeavor. I mean, this is before iPads, iPhones, all that stuff. And you had to, like, entertain your, back then you had to entertain yourself as a kid. Which is, like, something I'm trying to teach my kids. Like, you, you're entertaining. To me, you can entertain yourself, okay? You entertain me, entertain yourself. You can have, go have fun. You're bored? Beautiful. You need more of that in your life, Right? And so we'd go on road trips, and, and some of the most fun you'd have is in the simple things, the road trip, the, the hotels that we would stay at. Some were, some were, you know, up there, I wouldn't say five star, but maybe three and a half stars, some good ones. And then others, no stars. There's some that zero, just a black sky at night with no stars. Um, have you ever had that happen where you're at a hotel and, and, you, and your, your room key doesn't work? This is what I think about. And you get this sort of like, there's nothing more depressing than like, you, you're like, I have that. And it's like, and it's like the orange or the yellow. I can't think of like a Mission Impossible movie or something, but it's like access, what? Denied. And then there's something that happens that's special, like kind of like pep you have in your step when it's like, right? That door swings open. You're the king of the... 10 by 10 castle, you know? <laughs> I want you to think about the gospel illustrated in that way as that, as, as that reality for your life. Some of us, we live with an access-denied mindset when Jesus has granted you access to the Father. Perfect green light access, amen? Anybody else thankful today for granted access to God? This is good news. Now, this is what we're saved to through the gospel, but Jesus is emphasizing this to his followers in John 15, that access to God, this thing that we're saved to through the gospel, is also what we're called to primarily as disciples. It's what we're primarily called to as disciples. Here in John 15, again, as Jesus is calling his followers to abide in him, to live from relationship with his presence, with, to, to live in the way of withness, really is what, what he's doing here for his followers is he's giving them a vision. I want you to hear this. As he's saying this to these specific men, he's giving them a vision to continue in what he's already called them to. To continue in what he's already called them to. Uh, these followers were first called to follow Jesus uh, officially. There's the official call of the apostles, the disciples here in Mark chapter 3. And I want you to see this first call that Jesus gives them, that he's actually just reinforcing in John chapter 15. And in Mark chapter 3, it says, Jesus went up on a mountain, and I love this call to discipleship, and he called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. First, he calls you to himself. Now, notice this. This isn't act, uh, or unintentionally redundant. This is communicating a point. Then he appointed the 12. This is an important detail. 
that they might be with him. This is his vision of discipleship. And that he might next, after there's a proper sequence here, then that he might send them out to preach, to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. There's a proper order to discipleship. Witness is what we're saved to. It's also what we're primarily called to as followers of Jesus. He calls them first and foremost to witness. Uh, This call to be with him there in verse 14, that they might be with him, is more than a call to just physical proximity. Physical proximity. In fact, if that's the basis of relationship, then I have a relationship with any person that I was physically next to all week this week. But we know that's not true. Uh, The nature of that proximity is determined by the relationship. Okay, so being with my kids this week should have been more substantial than the other people I was in line with at the coffee shop, right? So this is more than like physical proximity. This is a defined relationship between Jesus and his followers. This is a call into a kind of communion and engagement with him that is to be, listen closely, it's to be the only and central place from which they live their Christian lives. Any and every good thing as a follower of Jesus is to flow from this place of withness. Withness. Being with him. Now Jesus is calling them, by the way, to do something that he himself has already modeled to them. This is seen in the life of Jesus. Jesus lived this way. Jesus modeled the way of withness. That anything that he was to do or anything that he was to be was to flow from his own relationship with the Father. We see this in Mark chapter 1. I love this story. We went through Mark two years ago. It says that evening when the sun had set, talk about like a busy day of ministry. Uh, it's, by the way, it's nighttime. This is where like it's usually like siesta moment, you know, catch up on your Netflix show, whatever. But at this time, it says they brought to him all who were sick. Not some people who were sick, but like all who were sick. Anybody sick? And the whole crowd's like, I got some sickness. I'll come. They all come, and those who are, let's also get some demon-possessed people up in this place. It says this in verse uh, 33. I'm not sure if you've ever been busy, but at this time, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Like, talk about a to-do list. It's like, who's, you hear a knock? It's like, who's there? Is that Solar Guy again? No. Is that Amazon, is that Amazon Prime? No. Um, the city's here. Wait, the, like the city, like the city official, like the city of Boca? They've been here before. They're not nice. Right? No, like the world. The whole local world is here. <laughs> you know? The whole city's at the door. I mean, I mean Jesus is trending here. His, his ministry and his renown and his power is being proclaimed. People are coming to him to be healed, to be delivered. It says this, that Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases. Now, notice this. I want you to notice this key phrase. They brought him all who were sick, it says, and he healed many. It doesn't say and he healed all of them, but he healed many. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And I love this. He didn't allow the demons to speak. He didn't want them to disclose that spiritual information too soon. So, so notice, there's still more people to heal. There's still more demons to deliver and to cast out. But the Bible tells us that in the morning, after a long night of ministry, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and he departed to a solitary place 
and there he prayed. I want you to notice, Jesus didn't go out and get alone with the Father and prioritize his relationship with the Father when his task list was done. But it was in the midst of unfinished business. It was in the midst of the demands of life. I'm telling you, we have to get this. If you wait for all the things you need to do and all the things you need to be before you spend time with God, guess what? You never will. You'll get distracted, right? Like Martha, from all your serving and all you're doing. And Jesus models this sort of life that in the midst of the demands, in the midst of the needs, he turned his phone off. He put that thing on DND. And he went to be alone with the Father. He modeled witness. I love, we just have to look at the extra verses because they're so comical. Simon and those who are with him, I love this search for him. Okay, search, you know, searching for Jesus, party of the whole city. They're looking for Jesus, and he's nowhere to be found. I love this. By the way, there should be regular moments in your life where you're nowhere to be found. You're like, oh, that sounds good. I have kids. I, I actually, I do that every day. I lock the door, and I hide under the covers. No, I'm not talking about like that. But there was this pattern in Jesus' life where he prioritized just him and God. And they're going, Jesus, this is amazing. They're searching for him. They find him. When they found him, they said to him, Jesus, everyone's looking. We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. We haven't been able to find you. Like, I mean, you just think about it. Like, how many of those calls do you get throughout the week? How many emails? How many, I mean, even right now, there's other things flooding your inbox. There's other things on your mind. Like, let me even ask you, as a litmus test for this, have you been able to, even in this moment, even for the short, carved-out moment of your week, have you actually been able to be with God here this morning? Or have you already been distracted? Do we see the tendency that we have to prioritize everything other than this or to not prioritize this enough. So Jesus, they come to him, they go, everyone's been looking for you, Jesus. You've been nowhere to found. And he said to them, notice this, okay, now let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also. Because it's for this purpose that I've come forth. Well, what's the purpose? Notice this, there's still unfinished business in this town. But his purpose wasn't tied to the demands around him. Every time there was a need that showed up, it didn't mean that it was of the Father. He wasn't need-driven. He was call-driven. And you can only be call-driven, meaning you're, you're here to do the assignment that God has given you if you're in communion with your Father. So Jesus comes out of the secret place. He comes out of the intimacy with God, and he goes, okay, now I know what I need to do. He goes, let's go to the next town. So Jesus models this to his followers, and he also, therefore, calls them to the same life. The same is going to be true of you and me, he says. Any and every good thing is going to be found in primarily in relationship with me. This is what we're saved to. This is what we're called to. We have a tendency to complicate it. And in doing so, we're powerless. We're busy, but there's no fruit. We're busy, but we're barren. We're withering. Jesus says, here's the power. The power's with me. Relationship with me. I mean, this is echoed all throughout the New Testament. That any and every good thing in your and my life, from the power we have to the purpose we live in, it's all going to flow secondarily after seeking first the kingdom. You with me? That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, He said, seek first the kingdom. Prioritize relationship and every other thing will fall into place. Every other thing will fall into place. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 3. This helps me, for example, to even think about my own transformation. Look at this vision of transformation as a follower. It says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God is making you who he's called you to be, which is an image bearer, even of his son. And he's making you this. You're becoming this. You're being transformed into this, not as you behave more, but as you behold more, as you're with him. This is where the power of transformation is found. Now, I want to say something kind of cool about this. You know, Jesus here calls his disciples to this kind of life. And I want to say that uh, there's a verse in the book of Acts that actually speaks to how cool this is. This becomes their legacy as Jesus followers, which I think would be awesome if this were true about our lives as well. But in Acts chapter 4, don't you love this scripture because you feel like you're in good company? It says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is post-resurrection, post-ascension, post-Pentecost. It says that they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they marveled because there was great power and authority coming out of their life. There was what Jesus calls spiritual fruit. And they looked on and they go, how, how is that kind of fruit coming out of a tree like that? And then it clicked. They realized that they had been with, with Jesus. There's a certain power that flows from your life from being with Jesus that cannot be substituted or found in any other means. Like, what, what is it about this person? Maybe for you, you've counted yourself out as a fruit bearer. You've counted yourself out as someone that God could use because of X, Y, and Z. Whatever other cultural, even church cultural excuse you've planted or, or imprinted upon yourself, your family of origin or your tendencies or your lack of knowledge, whatever it may be, can I just remind you today that the power that is available to your life, the, the, the hope of your calling is the same for everyone else. It's the same as what it's always been. The hope of our lives is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's relationship with Jesus. It's communion with Jesus. What a testimony. That people could look on at our lives and be like, have you been with Jesus? Isn't that interesting? You ever, you ever looked in the mirror and been like, that is someone who hasn't been with Jesus. You ever had that moment? You ever had stuff come out of your life and you're just like, that's a withoutness person right there. And just the beauty and the fruit of someone who's been with Jesus. You ever encountered someone genuinely? And it made you go, this person has been with Jesus. There's some people, it's like, it's not, by the way, it's not connected to him. There's some people you meet, you're like, oh, this person knows a lot about Jesus. This person does a lot of things for Jesus. But then there's people that you're like, this person has spent their life with Jesus. There's a certain fruit found in that. So I want to say this, here in John 15, as Jesus is calling his followers to a witness life, well, really what he's doing here in this passage is he's reinforcing this call. This kind of witness doesn't happen overnight. It didn't for the disciples either. either. This has taken time. So what he's doing here is he's reinforcing the call to live from a relationship with him and he is warning us against the danger, the natural tendency that we all have to live without him. I wonder today, as you look at your life, is your life marked by the way of witness? Have you succumbed to the tendency to the Christian life 
without Christ. To the things of God without God. Have you taken something that is intended to be a relational endeavor? Purely and primarily. And have you made it, listen, an individual thing? An illustration I have for this, and it's so appropriate. You know, I'm just trying to do better out here. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do it all. Um, it's Super Bowl Sunday. So look at me with a football in the middle of my sermon, okay? One, one of, uh, and I got to say this, okay? This is just how God works, okay? I had this illustration planned weeks ago, and I was going to use it last week, okay? And so Super Bowl Sunday, God is good, okay? Unnecessary disclaimer. Um, one of uh, my favorite things to do with my son Judah, um, our whole relationship is built around life together. I mean, that's kind of my, my method and my model of parenting is if you can be uh, the best friend to your kids, then you can be the best authority and leader and role model to your kids. That if you engage them in friendship, you can engage them in spiritual influence. And, uh, you know, Judah's at the stage now where all the things that I like to do, we, we, we do them together and the hard part, he's getting better at me than me at some things, to be honest. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. Judah beat me in golf last week, okay? okay. And right now you're like, well, it probably says more about you than it does about him. No, he's, he's, he's good. He's getting good. Um, Yep, it happened. And, and whether it's golf or whatever it is, whether it's skateboarding together, there's so many of these activities that bring us together. One of them, of course, is, is the classic father and son game of catch. And uh, it's one of our favorite things to do. It's, it's something that's timeless. It's something that I do with my dad, that we do together. Uh, there's nothing more just meaningful than a father or son having a moment of, of playing catch. Now, I came home a couple weeks ago. I want you to see this. And Judah said, Dad, look what I just got in the mail. Now, if you're wondering, why is that football deformed and cut in half? It's because this is a football that you can play catch with yourself with. It's reverse engineered and deformed. This is the most just blasphemous thing I've ever seen in my life. It's meant to be thrown at the wall. So you play catch with yourself off the wall. Um, Judah calls it dad's at work ball. Now, I don't want to look at it. Um, it's also been called sad ball is the other name for it in our house. We've recently been calling it sad ball. What's Judah doing? He's out back playing sad ball. Now, and even as we look at that football and we see that that's a deformed version of a relational Activity. I hope that's an illustration for how deformed our versions of Christianity can be. Something that's meant to be an exchange between a dad and his kids becomes an individual thing. It's not what Jesus created and saved and called us to. As we close out here, I want to close with this question. I think we've described the call clearly by now. We know what we're called to, a life that's lived from a relationship with Jesus. We also see the danger and the tendency we all have, along with the disciples, to live without God, to deform this thing and make it an individual thing when it's meant to be a communal thing, where the only power is found in relationship with Jesus. That's what he's called us to, to be with him. But I want to ask this question and have you ponder these final thoughts as we go out with some practicals. 
two questions. Number one, how do we actually experience this? And how do we live in the way of witness? You might go, well, it's easy for, for the disciples to do this. They were literally with Jesus. Well, that's the exact point. Soon they were not going to be. And that verse in Acts that says that there was evidence that they had been with Jesus, that was a spiritual reality at that point, not a physical reality. There is a way, Jesus is describing a future where he's not physically beside you, but there's still this spiritual dynamic that determines whether or not you're doing life with or without him. So, so how do we experience this? And I want to submit that, that our lives, even as we go into our week, but especially, let me say, even this year, as we look at our year, the way of witness, our experience of relationship with God, is going to be determined by a balance between these two things. Planned practices and a purposed perspective. Another way to say this is you will only have as, as much depth in your relationship with God as you plan on and you practice towards. And you and I will only have as much depth of relationship with God as we perceive his presence with us. There's a balance here. There's things to do. The way of witness is a, is a way of practice. Just By the way, just like any relationship, right? So, like as a husband, if you want to maintain strong witness in relationship with your wife, you, you can't just have a perspective. Like, perspective is we're one and we're together all the time. She's like, you want to spend, let's go on a date. Why? I'm all, you have me at all times. I'm right here. It's like, no, but the kids are here too, okay? And so relationship, is, is gotta, it's got to involve some practices, some priorities. It's got to involve a, a date night. It's on the calendar. We're, we're going to be together. We're going to do things that cultivate our relationship. It involves practices. But if all you have is practices and you don't have perspective, you're going to reduce the relationship to the practices. You don't want to do that either. You don't want to do the thing where it's like, the other day, <laughs> I dropped Penny off at school. I was like, she goes to school twice a week. She's in this, like, it's hard to explain. Homeschooling is weird. Um, <laughs> worth it, but weird. Um, I dropped her off at school as a homeschool kid. I know it's confusing. Just follow me here. And I, and I said, bye, baby. I said, Penny, I miss you already. And she goes, why do you miss me already? I'm still here. <laughs> I'm right here. How do you miss me? It's like, you're missing me, girl. Okay? You're missing the point. Now, and she just walked away and went to her class. But, um, you know, the, the mindset that we're to have in relationship with each other is, is that idea of presence that she was fully aware of in that moment. I mean, in, in your relationship with your spouse, to say, well, I don't need to really engage too much with you. We went on a date last week, right? I've practiced with this. No, it, it's a balance between both of these practices and a perspective. Withness is found on the other side of a balance of these two things. An example of this would be the practice of prayer. But then there's also what Paul says, prayer without ceasing. There's stuff that I do to cultivate witness, but then there's a life I live that's marked by an awareness of God's presence with me. Let, let me unpack this a little bit more. Uh, first is planned practices. So, so planned practices involve things such as, this is just a, a starting list, things like gathering. Jesus promises that we can be with him, especially in the gathering of his people. He says, where two or more are gathered in my name, he says, I am there to be found. I'm there in the midst of them. I'm with him. We're with him now. He's with us now. 
So there's practices, practice of gathering in different size gatherings, in church, small groups, and prayer gatherings. There's, there's gatherings, being with Jesus through the gathering. But then Jesus also talks about solitude. He talks about in Matthew 6 what he describes as the secret place where the Father could be found. That there should be in our life the practice of getting alone with God. If all we are is alone with God and we're not in community, there's a danger there where we can never be found. But if we're always found in community, if we're always doing another thing, but there's never margin in our lives to do what Jesus did, which is to be alone with the Father. See, Jesus models this practice. Then we're, we're missing out on the way of witness. Another thought here is, is a day of rest, a Sabbath day, where you take a day of your week. By the way, usually our weeks are marked by doing and busyness. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but most doing and busyness is, is not favorable towards withness. Anybody notice that? And, and so a Sabbath day is a stopper in your week to say, I'm going to have a day where I just remember that, that it's not my work that runs the world, but it's God. And I'm going to have a day where I'm just going to be with him. Imagine that. Imagine that in the created order. Imagine that as a principle where I, li- I live my week from starting to be with him. And I'm just loved by him. I'm just with him. Before I'm a human doing, I'm a human being in his presence. And there's a, a lot of other examples. I want to focus, though, one of the key things about this is that these are planned practices. Okay? You plan, not just because you want to actually do it, but you plan because you recognize that without planning, you won't naturally do it. The, the idea here is, here's a way to communicate this. Uh, the nature of life itself does not tend and trend towards withness. If yours does, let me, I would love to know what your formula is. I want to figure that out. How do you just naturally get deeper and deeper with God without purposing to? In my life, I found because of these three realities, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that withness is often against the current. If I just am left up to neutral, if I don't plan to be with God, I won't be. And the enemy will empower all those other forces. He will especially empower a life that's marked by the things of God without God. So life doesn't tend and trend towards that. That's why a plan is necessary. Or you might have heard this language before. It's kind of common and been central and I think in a healthy way in the world of spiritual formation. But you've heard this idea about having some kind of rule of life. Have you heard this idea? Not rule as in rules. Okay, we have enough of those. But rule as in like a ruler something to measure, something straight, something by which to measure your life and organize your life. Uh, It's from the Latin regula, uh, which uh, the ancient tradition and the early church had this concept to describe, or or was originally used to describe a trellis in a vineyard. Now think about that with abiding. How helpful is that? That you abide and you bear fruit, not just because you want to, but we know we're not shaped merely by our desires. We're, We're shaped by the structures and the disciplines of our life. You're shaped more by your habits than you and I would like to admit. And so a rule of life is me saying, I'm going to purpose to have a certain structure and strategy to my mornings, to my week, to my life and my day. I'm going to build a trellis of structure through which spiritual fruit will be born. So there's a plan for us. And then lastly, we'll close with this last one. invite the team to come up to wrap us out. But the other balance to here is not just planned practices of witness, but there's got to be ultimately a purpose perspective. Remember we talked about this. There's things i got to do to be with God. But I can't reduce God to the things that I do. 
They're necessary, but they're a means to a person. They're a means to a relationship. There has to be, in my framework of life with God, there has to be a certain kind of perspective that I constantly employ, especially in seasons of life, where solitude and margin are not as uh, available. Do you know what I'm saying? And there's a certain perspective that I need to couple my, my, my spiritual disciplines with that enable me, listen to this, to be with God always. This is what Paul meant when he said to pray without ceasing. He didn't mean, hey, pray without ceasing, so go to the prayer meeting and never leave it. Go into your prayer closet and never come out. That's not the idea. The idea of the spiritual disciplines is not to so busy your life with spiritual things that you can't do what God's called you to do, but it's to live from those things, to to cut out some other things that are overcrowding your life, to make room for the most important things, your desires, your deepest desires to, to a life with God, And then to live from those things with an awareness of the most central principle, the most central principle to communion with God. And I have had to, I've been following Jesus now for almost 20 years. I don't say that to say I have 20 years on my record. Look at that spiritual seniority. I've learned it all. I'm just saying in 20 years, I've learned a lot about who I'm not and a lot about who God is. And maybe I'll even add, I've learned a lot about who I am. I've learned a lot about what's natural and, and what I tend towards. And I've just noticed that this, it's not natural for me to have the perspective that God is with me. I have to purpose to have that mindset. Jesus spoke this to his disciples in John 14. This is just prior to John 15. He's about to, I mean, this is like one of the hardest things that they're having to deal with. Like, they've really got used to proximity to Jesus. I mean, having him with you, you need to pay your taxes, he just says, go fishing. Like, it's awesome. (laughs) Having him with you, you're in a storm. As long as Jesus is in the boat, you're going to be good. He just speaks to the waves, and they get big, and they get small. Like, it's awesome. But, But they're starting to recognize the inevitable, that he's no longer going to be with us in the same way. But Jesus is teaching them, yes, but I still will be with you. And in fact, I'll be with you in a greater way. He tells them, I will pray the Father, and he's going to give you, notice this phrase, another helper. The word another there is not the word like additional. The word another there in Greek means it's of the same kind or quality. Another. Just as I have been to you, so the Holy Spirit. Notice this phrase, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. Notice this. For he dwells with you, just as I have been with you, the Spirit of God has been with you, and he will be in you. And here's the promise. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You might be lonely, but you're not alone. I've sent my Spirit into your heart to confirm the reality that Jesus is with you in a deeper way than he ever could have been in the first century. He's with you by his spirit. And here's the best part of his presence with us. He says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, I'm with you how often? Always. Always. Anybody needed that this year? I don't know about you, there's been some things I've gone through that I've questioned whether or not God was with me, but then when I get that revelation, I think of Paul at the end of his life, he's like, this person left me, this person bailed on me, this person cheated me. He goes, but the Lord stood with me. I'm telling you, when you have this perspective in your life and your day, 
It's not the prayer closet necessarily that makes you deep in your relationship with God. It's your own awareness of his thereness. He's with you. And not just physically, but as a father whose heart is for you, who's available to you. This is the way of withness. A life marked by pursuing him in practice, but a life also aware of his presence with me. You know, when you get this reality that he's always with you, you can be with him in every and anything. You, you, know, you can be with him not at just a church. You could be with him while you're watching the Super Bowl later. You, you can be with him when you go to work. You could be with him when you're with the kids. You can, you can be with him when the whole city is at your door because he's with you. Amen? So the question I want us to close with today that I want us to take us into a moment of reflection on is how's your witness? It's what you've been saved and called to.